Welcome to TSF Life, a podcast ministry of the Shepherd's Fellowship Church in Marion, Ohio. TSF Life is designed to bring you biblical teaching in a relational way that's easy to apply to your life. Let's join Pastor Tom Hypes as we dive into today's teaching. Again, study time. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of a bigger recap since we're coming to the close of this subsection of the larger Bible study series. Again, we've been in a series on the life of Jesus now for like 14, 15 months. Uh, where we're at right now is we're looking at different segments of his ministry and kind of seeing what we have to learn from those things or be encouraged by or that we can be challenged by. Uh, and so right now we're in the healings of Jesus. And we've been in this for about seven weeks. Uh, and today, as far as I know, unless the Spirit's got something else going on, this is the, the last one of this sub-series as we'll get ready to, to start another section. Um, but as we've been going through these, we've gone through several regular, it's weird to say regular healings, isn't it? But like healings that people have, were able to do with God. And then at that time, the Jewish leaders were teaching that there was four types of healings that only the Messiah could do. If you saw somebody doing one of these four, then that was the Messiah. It was just impossible uh, otherwise. Uh, and so we've covered the first one as far as um, healing somebody of leprosy was supposed to be just the Messiah could do that. They were just without hope. Uh, that we talked about healing a birth defect. Uh, you know, we covered that as well. Uh, in, that, in our case, it was the, the gentleman bone blind. Um, we saw, again, lepers. We saw 10 lepers. Uh, the man bone blind was, was healed. Um, casting out a deaf and dumb demon is impossible except for the Messiah. This is what they taught. This isn't necessarily what God ever said, but this is what they taught. Uh, and last week we covered that where Jesus... Uh, delivered a young man from a deaf and dumb demon. And you would think that any of these happen, what's supposed to happen? They're supposed to celebrate and worship the Messiah. All three times he continues to have more and more persecution against him because people don't want Jesus to be Messiah. They have their own ways or their own um, agendas or their own things that they want to have happen. So we continue to see them trying to explain that away and persecution continue to grow. So hopefully, maybe with the fourth one, we'll see a little bit of a different uh, effect, a little bit of a different, we don't. But that, that would be what we would hope as we come to the fourth one, which is only the Messiah can take and raise somebody from the dead after they've been dead for three days. Again, two days, one day, that might have been like a coma type situation. Maybe we called it wrong, whatever the case would be. But if someone's dead for three days or more, only the Messiah can raise them. So that's what we're going to look at today. So if you want to get your Bibles out, we're going to, head there. We're going to go to John 11. Uh, we'll probably talk about the second most famous raising of the dead story, uh, not the resurrection of Christ, but of Lazarus, and uh, see what we have there. Now, as we've been going through these, again, there's common threads that we've seen in each healing, and we've seen a lot of uniquenesses too. Uh, that, that a lot of these things play out in different ways. And I find that very, very encouraging in our own lives and our own needs as uh, the, the Spirit of, and Jesus meets us where we're at. Uh, so we're going to look at those here, and I think they're going to be a little bit different, uh, but they'll still be in the same ballpark of things. Now, we're all going to do things a little bit different with this one. Uh, with the healing of Lazarus, or the raising of Lazarus from the dead, one of the things that's awesome is, again, we're in John. So John gives us a great deal of information about these one-on-ones with Jesus and, and people. Uh, so we have a lot of text to cover today, but a lot of information that really brings it to life for us as well. Because again, these are real stories, real things that really have happened. And so um, 
I'm going to do it a little bit different as far as usually we read the text, then we got to get into the full points or whatnot. We're going to let the text kind of drive that, so we're going to feel a little bit different today, including the cast of characters. Uh, before we get into the scripture, I want to talk about who the cast of characters are. Uh, cast of character-wise, uh, again, we always talk about the location. Location and culture matters in these testimonies. Uh, at the beginning of this, we're going to find Jesus... Uh, out and about, but we're going to spend most of our time in, Ga- uh, in, Ju- in Judah, that, in Judea. In Judea. Remember, Galilee's up here. This is a lot of nature, a lot of beauty. Jesus' home country. Underneath that, Samaritans, the people that are basically the muggles of the Christian world or the Jewish world at that time, the half Jewish, half Gentile that has a lot of prejudice against them. And then you either go through this or around this to get down to Judea, which is really the hub of the Jewish faith at that time. That's where Jerusalem is. Very desert very rigid, uh, which I think speaks volumes to the truth about the religion at the time and the law and the way that they created extra laws around God's law and just how, how rough it was. And usually when he's up here, it's kind of, he's doing ministry, but he's more safe than when he's down here. This is the people who really are, are persecuting him against and coming against him. And we're going to see he's going to come to Judea for a particular purpose, walking into that battlefield walking into that rigidness. So with that in mind, the other thing I want to give you is, uh, as we go through this is the cast characters. You've got Jesus. We've got the disciples. We've seen that uh, many, many times. Again, Jesus, the one we're learning about and what to be more like. Uh, we have the Jewish people uh, in, in this area, but uh, it's going to be a very relational setting. This is not a celebration. It's not a religious ritual. It's a, re- it's a very relational situation. And then we have Lazarus, and we have Mary and Martha in the city of Bethany. Now, Bethany, outside of Jerusalem, is, uh, we've studied it before. If you ever want to do, uh, Bethany's my favorite city uh, in the scripture. And if you ever want to really dig in why, uh, you can go to our YouTube channel, do a search on Bethany, and we've done a couple of deep dives on it. Uh, Because if you can understand Bethany and why Jesus loved it so much, you can understand the attributes that you can adopt into your own life to draw Jesus close. That's what I love about Bethany. So he's going to come from the safety down to this, this hostile place. But within it is this one village. It's, there's three villages around Jerusalem, Bethany being one that's called Alms Villages. And it's where they sent people that were poor or that, that were sick. It's kind of like nursing homes today. They want to make sure they were taken care of, but they also wanted them out of sight and out of mind, out of Jerusalem. And so we're going to go to Bethany where Lazarus and Mary and Martha live. They are caregivers. If you're in this town, you're either in need or you want to help people. In this, we find that when this is home, this is Jesus' vacation spot. Jesus loved to go to Bethany because he loved the attributes of Bethany. And within it were Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, who he loved dearly. Anytime you see him just getting away, reclining, um, t- taking and ha- having a break, he's at their house, they are friends. It's not just followers. They're, they're some of his closest friends. So with that in mind, we can put up the first point, if you don't mind, Chris, because we're going to read into it, is we don't deserve his move, but he does move. Okay, and we've talked about this. That's true from a spiritual standpoint. We, that's what HEST is all about. Our main, main goal or theme um, is it, it, HEST is an untrans... Uh, it, it's hard to translate that word, but it means when you have absolutely no right to get something from somebody and they give you everything. Um, this, is, this is what this means. I have no, no reason to expect anything from Jesus, but he does move on my behalf. He doesn't, we, none of us deserve anything, but he moves on behalf because he's awesome. He's awesome. That's what grace is. That's what that loving kindness is. And we're going to see in all of these that we have different people that serve as metaphors for that. That we have people that culturally 
do not um, measure up to what the people think the Messiah should be leaning into. And that's true here in a little bit of a different sense. So let's start out by reading verse 1. Again, there's Bibles around the room and baskets under the chairs if you need one. Um, and the new version is up and running on your, your phones if you want it. But this is what it says is now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. Okay, so we know who that is. Uh, it's also the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now understand the reason why John puts those details in there is because everybody, well, it's well known how close he is to them. And you're going to see him repeat that over and over again as he teaches us. So the sort of man was ill, Lazarus Bethany. Uh, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, who brother, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So again, he's still whispering into our ears. The, the look how important they are to him. So the sisters said to him, to G, sent to him, Lord, he who you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he immediately went. It's not what it says, is it? When he heard that Lazarus was ill, and he loved them also dearly, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Now let's go. Um, this is different from the standpoint of we don't deserve Jesus' move, but he still moves. Because here we have a Jewish person, not a Gentile like we've seen before. Uh, here we have a man, not a woman, like the culture looked at women at the time. It's more like property. Uh, here we have someone that's fully Jewish, not Samaritan, not one of the muggles of the spiritual world at the time. Uh, here we have someone who doesn't have a birth defect because they assumed that they were, had sin in their life or that their parents had sin in their life, so they had less empathy. They had actually had, kind of had judgment on those, the people that were struggling. Uh, here we don't have someone's demon-possessed so that they think, holy cow, if that guy's blind because of sin, what did you do? That you now got a demon inside you, and that's throwing you into fires and, and these type of things. What's wrong with you, jacked-up family? And we have none of that. None of that. We have a Jewish man who's a caretaker, devoted his entire life to loving on and caring for others, who Jesus is best friends with, who oftentimes hosts him in his home. The times that you see Jesus praying on the Mount of Olives, that's the backyard of Bethany. So most of the times that he's having those times with his father, he's been there with Lazarus. Everything within this, from a worldly standpoint, he deserves it. He deserves it. It's a, it's a little bit of a different scenario. And I think Jesus gives us this particular example. One of the things that we can take from it is what we started at with all this. Is because sometimes we think, why did my mom pass away? She was an incredible woman of God. Or why did my friend go through leukemia and suffer for, for months and years over cancer? Why did this person go through this? Why did this person, why am I going through this? I'm a good person. I do good things. Why is God doing this to me? This is a reminder that, again, at the core of things, Tom's a sinner. I don't deserve anything. But more importantly, he does move. It's just not always the way I want it to be. He always moves. All the sickness, all the challenge comes from sin corrupting what he put into place in the first place. All of it. Whether we embrace it, other people do it to us, or whether it's just the natural order of things. But Jesus does move in it, whoever you are. Whether you're the lowliest or the highest as far as everybody's opinion, he loves you, and he does move. So that, that's a very, very powerful part, I think, within this, 
um, to be able to look at. I was talking to um, my buddy, several of you. How'd you get your shoes back? Nicole. <laughs> Sorry, I, I stole Cindy's shoes and just realized she got them back, and now she's trying to protect them. <laughs> but uh, I was talking to a buddy of mine, a lot of you guys know, um, Pastor Jackie Peterson, uh, that, that I work with at the IMA, and we were having lunch, and um, she started telling me about a story about her sister, and that her sister had gone in for surgery, and this was years ago, and um, they messed up. The, anest the anesthesiologist, or whatever that's pronounced, uh, messed up and ended up putting her in a, a, like a, a wake-in coma for the rest of her life, where she, um, she couldn't talk, she couldn't move, her eyes were open, she was aware of what's going on around her, and she was in a nursing home for several years before she, she passed away. And we were talking about if God has us here, there's a reason for it. Because I'm a big believer that once he's done with Tom, he, he'd be more happy to have Tom home and not having to deal with this crap anymore. So there's a reason why any of us are here if we're here. And um, she was saying that she does believe, even though she hated that for her sister, that God still did ministry through her sister. Through her, she said, every time I walked into a room, it just felt like peace. Every time um, we, we were there, we always played Christian music in, in her, her room. Uh, people would come and visit. and they would, I, th I think it made an impact on the staff. I just have to believe that. And as we're talking, um, things started kind of connecting up. And I said, was she at the nursing home across the street from the Seventh-day Adventist Church on the, in Bell Fountain Avenue? And she said, yeah. I said, I know her. I said, I taught there for eight years. I said, I would go, and she, she didn't come to any of my classes, but I would go in and visit with her. And I said, I've met many people in your family. I've met many people in your church. I said, and you're right. You walk in there, you, you felt it. You felt the peace. And I'll tell you, I'm the one who's talking to the staff, and I know the difference that she made. Know the difference that she made. But within that, she started wondering, why would my sister have to go through this when she had so much joy? Because God was going to use that. Was going to use her in ways that we don't expect. Okay, so second one. The same one that we've had each time. Jesus is not for show or worldly standards. Uh, this one I'm going to focus a little bit more on the worldly standards end of things. Uh, and read this next section starting out in verse 8. It says, The disciples said to him, uh, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. This is after he said, let's go to Judea. Uh, are you actually going to go there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anybody walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks into the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. An incredible statement on uh, faith walking that we're not going to go into right now. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought he meant that he was taking uh, rest and sleep. So then Jesus said to him plainly, Listen, Jesus, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe but let us go to him. Thomas, who is still not getting it, called the twin, said to the fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with Jesus. In other words, they thought he didn't go because he would get stoned. Um, Jesus doesn't look at things like that. That's the worldly view that they were looking at. Uh, we always crap on Thomas because of his doubt. We call him Thomas the doubter and stuff. He's ready to martyr himself for Jesus right here, but, but he has the wrong perspective of what's going to happen here. Uh, they had the wrong perspective on sleep. Lazarus is falling asleep. He's talking from God's standpoint, so now we have to go wake him up. Uh, we should leave him alone. He's getting better. I, I almost see Jesus like, he's dead. 
you guys, you guys just don't get any of this stuff. He's dead. I have to go and, and awaken him. I have to bring him in. There's a very different aspect of how they're looking at things from the worldly standard into the, uh, to Jesus' viewpoint of things. They're looking at a catastrophe, and he's looking at a testimony. There's a big difference between Jesus and us. We'll talk about some as far as the show here in just a few minutes. Number three, faith matters, we've talked about several times. Starting at verse 17, um, we get into the real heart of what the real miracle is. All of these keep coming back to growing our faith. Uh, it says, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. Why does John give us that, that bit of information? It's only a messianic miracle. He wants to make sure that we, we understand how serious the situation has been. Four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met with him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's faith. She knows that Jesus could have healed her brother. She gets that. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. That's awesome. That's another step. She's, she's got a deeper faith than what most people in this situation do. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again, meaning in about 10 minutes. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Right over her head. Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and I'm the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. You are the one who is coming into the world. He's taken her step by step to grow the faith a little bit. And then he's about to do the object lesson after. Right after this, she goes back. She tells Mary, the, the master's out here. Mary gets up. She goes to him. Mary's a very different cat than Martha is. Martha, everything that we see, she's a planner. She's logical. She's, she's thinking it through. They have this little dialogue back and forth. Mary, she, she's emotional and she's relational. And I, I would say I actually relate more to Mary than I do Martha. Um, and she comes out, and there's no real dialogue. She says the same thing that her sister did. If you were here, he wouldn't have died. Exact same starting point. And then she weeps, and she's crying, and people are crying for her. And I love how Jesus reacts within this, because you think he might chastise her. Might be like, listen, I just had this talk with your sister. I just, I'm getting kind of tired of the disciples and your sister right there. But instead, in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit. That means the Holy Spirit, that phrasing. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And so there's no additional dialogue. It's just simply, where'd you lame? It's time. Let's, let's handle this. Let's move into this. So they said, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the scripture that has been debated so much on why he wept. Some I've heard say that they thought that he wept because of their lack of faith. I don't believe that. Personally, I think he just loves them. I think, I think his hope, hope moved for where they're at. Where did you lay him? They said, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. And then hear this voice. This is crazy. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Okay, so we see this level of faith continuing on. The reason I love that last verse, he healed the blind man who was blind since birth. That's a messianic miracle. And they know it. And they're still not believing. Like, like, like they, 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 this, this guy's doing messianic miracles. 
I, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are saying he's not the Messiah, so we really don't know what to believe. But if he can do a messianic miracle, surely healing this guy would have been nothing. At no point in their heads did they say, if he can do messianic miracles, he can raise him. He's only been dead four days. I mean, that lesson just should have been there, shouldn't it? Like, just consciously, we should have put these things around. But we explain away Jesus so much. We explain away Jesus so much. But he's building their faith. There's a particular movement that he is, is doing here. Okay, so we've got, um, again, that the, the uh, oh, geez, what's, in the, what's the first one again there, Chris? As far as um, we don't deserve his move. We've got Jesus is for show, uh, is not for show, for really stands. We've got faith matters. All of these uh, being able to be within this. Uh, everybody got them? Because this is the last time we go through. Everybody got them? If you don't, he goes through all three of them again. All three of them again. Look at this next section. This is awesome. 38. Then Jesus deeply moved again. Again, that's a spirit move. Came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the practical one the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. In other words, he's dead, dead. He's dead, dead. When they move the stone, I just wanted to let you know this. It's not in the scripture, but I, I would die believing this. There was an odor. He was dead, 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 dead. So she's a little bit freaked out by his request. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you if you believed you would see the glory of God? Are we still struggling on the faith of this? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up the eye, his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you have sent me. So we've, we've got, does, does she deserve the movement? She's struggling on her faith. Some people will tell you, oh, you, you didn't get healed because you didn't have enough faith. That's crap. So she struggled with faith. So we've got that aspect of things. As far as faith matters, uh, did I not tell you? Didn't we just have this conversation? Right? Are we still not getting it? Is in there as well? And not for show is turned upside down. And I think that one's awesome. We've not seen this move of Jesus in any of the healings we looked at. Jesus did a show. Did you catch it? He did a show. He didn't take him to the side like he's done before. He didn't, like, leave immediately afterwards to, to be hidden from the crowd immediately afterwards. This is the closest we've gotten is turning the mud in, uh, taking the mud and putting it on a guy's eyes. That's the closest we've gotten even then as to the sidelines. This time he walks out in the middle of everybody in front of the center point of the entire story of the tomb. And even if you, if you don't believe this and believe the, the statement that he says, God, I'm praying to you, not because I don't think you don't hear me, but these guys need to know that this is coming from you and not me. They, they, they need to know that this is not some kind of weird coincidence or whatnot. So I am doing this prayer out loud, not for anything internal, but to, because of these guys. It's a, he, he's doing the show to grow their faith. It all comes back to that faith matters. It go, all goes back to what he's doing to make things awesome. And so he, he works a, a billion different ways, a billion in different ways, and I think that's, that's awesome. Okay, number four, everything is turned upside down. As we know, um, we, we see in verse 43, uh, when he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. Um, 
obviously everything's changed for Lazarus. I don't think Mary and Martha had too many faith struggles after this. I don't know if people have much struggles that were there. Uh, I don't know. That might be wrong because God's done great things in my life, and then I go back to forgetting about them and struggling again. But the, here, this is, this is a life-changing, obviously, for Lazarus. Do you know what, uh, why a dead man comes forth when Christ calls him? Because the absolute Lord is Lord absolutely. Even a corpse would do what Jesus calls him to do uh, if they want to be in submission. So that corpse was in submission to the Lord. He got up and he came out. And the one thing I love about Jesus, he goes, that's not enough. He still got binding on him. I, I want him free. I don't just want him alive. I want him free. Get that off of him. And I love that from a gospel standpoint. He doesn't just want you alive in him to say a little prayer so you get out of hell free type thing. He wants you free. He wants that stuff off of you. He wants, he wants that stuff to be, to be able to bring to, total and complete freedom with us. So everything is turned upside down. But, and I, I don't have it on there, but again, what have we said? Almost on all of these, not everybody's going to be happy about your miracle. Not everybody's going to be happy about your healing. We have four messianic miracles. Very, the, the, the last one, very, very public. In the section right after this, if you read it when you get home today, some of the people there went and told the Pharisees. They did the two-mile hike to tell the Pharisees and religious leaders what, what had happened. And they said, this is getting out of control. This guy is messing with all the people. People are starting to follow him. It's better to kill one man than to lose the whole entire community. And they decide they're going to kill Jesus. And they decide they're going to kill Lazarus and get rid of the evidence. We don't need him walking around. We don't need him walking around. That, that, that is what comes into play. So not everybody accepts what Jesus wants in their life. And not everybody rejects him. But it's always the personal choice. The Messiah has evidence in all of our lives as whether or not we receive and whether or not we reject. So with that, let me say this last point for this particular area of this, the, 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 the study. Number five, the healings of Jesus are personal. The healings of Jesus are personal, not just for those that are in the, the testimonies, the one-on-one, -on -one, but he is very relational. Very, very he doesn't do some kind of big mass crowd miracles all the time. It's very one-on-one. -on -one. He seeks them out. He goes back to find them again. But the healings of Jesus are personal to you and I as well. That's the biggest thing that keeps standing out in this study to me. The areas of my life, whether it be that if, if someone is listening to this and they've not accepted Jesus as a leader and forgiven in their life, and he's saying, they're going, it's right here. It's right here. Acknowledging with your mouth that he's the son of God. Believing in your heart he died and was again. You're God, I'm not. I'm done trying to control all this. I'm following you. That, that's very much Lazarus in the tomb. For others of us, it could be that we've come to the Lord at one time and then we just kind of walked away from all of it and we leaned into other things and we put back on bondage of our face and of our feet and of our hands. And he's calling out. I don't, that's not my child. My child doesn't live in bondage. My child lives in freedom. If either one of those, or even if it's just one particular issue in our life that almost feels like, it may, maybe is for some, a demon possession, like this one issue, I just can't get away from this one issue, and it keeps trying to destroy me. Keeps trying to destroy me. It's a very personal thing for Jesus to come up and say, I want my child free. That's not what I, I ever came for. It's all about the freedom of following me. In all of those case scenarios, we've got to realize in these very personal relational situations between us and God, we can either submit and walk out of the grave or we can try to kill what Jesus is doing. 
That's really what it all comes down to over and over and over again. If you were blessed by today's teaching, we hope you return for our next podcast. Or better yet, stop by the Shepherd's Fellowship any Sunday morning to join us live. You can learn more about the church by calling 740-382-3500 or check us out online by going to tsflife.com. That's tsflife.com. You can also support the ministry of TSF Life by donating at our church website or sending support to the Shepherd's Fellowship, 1647 Marion Marysville Road, Marion, Ohio, 43302. Thank you for spending your time with us today, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Be blessed.